Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning I want to continue on from where I left off last week. Last week we spoke about the fruit of devotion. And I want to do just a brief recap of some of the things I spoke about last week. I opened the service with asking the question, what is God saying to you in this time and season? In this season of your life? What is God saying to you? And if you look at me and say, Michael, well, I'm not really sure, then that tells you something. It doesn't tell me anything, but it tells you something. It tells you, if I say that I don't know what God is saying to me right now, it tells me that I'm out of kilter with God's heartbeat for me right now. How can I cooperate with what the Spirit of God wants to do in my life in any given season if I don't even know what He's saying to me? I can't. Amen? And if I had to ask you the question this morning, how many of you believe that God loves you? You'd all say, I believe it. How many of you believe God wants to use you and and use your life for His glory? You'd say, I I believe it. And then I'd ask, how do you believe God wants to use your life for your glory and, and well, for His glory? And we don't always know the answer to those questions. The fruit of devotion is what we're going to be talking about. Last week, we looked at the story of four Jewish boys Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, we looked at the story of of their life and how they were taken into exile into Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. The king said, these guys, you can give them a portion of all the food that the king eats. They decided, no, we just want the vegetables, please. And they ended up looking better and healthier than everybody else, and so that was granted to them. And immediately they stood out head, head and shoulders above the rest. There was favor on their lives. It was evident to see and this is the one thing that, I wanted, that we'll keep coming back to again this morning. There was evidence in their lives of the fruit, that, which was the fruit of their lifestyle. A little while later, we heard how the king put up a golden statue, said whoever doesn't bow to the statue will be thrown into the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, thrown into the furnace. They said, he gave them one last chance to repent. He said, we won't repent. Our God will save us from this furnace, and even if He doesn't, we won't bow the knee to you. And we know the story. They get thrown in. They come out. No, not, not a hair singed. They don't even smell of smoke. And the king gives glory to God. A little while later, we hear the story of, of, of Daniel, how a new king comes to, comes to power, uh, and he, he says that he's advisors say to him that for a period of 30 days, no one should seek advice or pray to anybody else, but should only come to you as this new king. And of course, Daniel goes home from that, opens his windows and prays. The Bible says, as was his custom, three times a day. And he unashamedly opened his window. He didn't even do it in secret, but he prayed. He prayed to his God. And that said something. That says something about not just his boldness or, you know, it it says something about his level and his depth of faith and of trust in God. As a result, the king begrudgingly throws him into the lion's den because the king really loved Daniel. He, he, he favored Daniel. Throws him into the lion's den, goes down the next morning, finds Daniel still alive, happy as, and promotes him again. And we see the story keep, continues to play itself out. Daniel has, has, has visions. He interprets dreams. He interprets writing on the wall. And we see that throughout their journey, God showed these Hebrew men great 
favor, and their lives were a testimony of God's goodness and God's favor upon them. Deliverance again and again, provision again and again of ways and means and of wisdom and of knowledge. And the whole point that we made with the message last week is that the courage that these men found in their moment of trial didn't come just in that moment. It's not something that was just added to them at that moment when the trial came, but it was the product of a lifestyle of dedication and spiritual discipline towards God. The Bible says that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Adversity itself does not bring forth strength. It only reveals it. And many of us face adversity and we realize only then when it's too late that our strength is not enough. Now we need help. Now we run to somebody to pray for us. Now we run this way and that way. We didn't see it coming. And when it came, we simply weren't ready. Another, and that's just perhaps a trial or a tragedy that hits us. What about opportunities that come our way? What about opportunities that come our way that God wants us to meet? Opportunities that God wants to use in our lives to take us into another season, to another level spiritually, to unlock something within our lives? We meet somebody, there's an opportunity for ministry, for that person to come to the Lord, perhaps for that person to be delivered or healed. But we're not ready. We not only don't recognize the opportunity, maybe if we do recognize the opportunity, we don't feel we can meet it. Do you understand what I'm talking to you about? These moments that we see throughout the Bible of people having incredible encounters, encounters with God, most of them are not just one-off moments that God rocks up and does something amazing. There's a cooperation. There's a following. There's an obedience. Sure, there's an initial moment where we meet God. There's an initial moment where our hearts turn and we begin to follow. There's a time and there's a season, like the people of Israel when they were babies, when they were in Egypt, where God pro provided miraculous signs and wonders, brought them out of, of their captivity, brought them into and through the wilderness, took them into the promised land. But once they got there, guess what happened to the miracles? They stopped. God required them to begin sowing seed and reaping a harvest. He wasn't going to keep providing manna every single day anymore. You are going to have to take responsibility for your well-being. God said to Joshua, I'm going to give you this land, but I'm going to give it little by little, because if I give it to you all at once, it's going to crush you. It's going to overwhelm you. But little by little, you shall inherit the land. And folks, in our, in our spiritual walk, there is so much that Jesus Christ has given to us. Everything freely available to you and I from the moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ. But appropriating that and the manifestation of that comes little by little. There are moments where God, it's, it's as though heaven invades earth and God does something miraculous or supernatural and moves us on, a provision, a revelation, whatever it may be. But none of us, none of us live in that perpetual state. So what is required of us? To remain ready, to remain full, to remain usable or useful or fruitful in the hands of God. It's a lifestyle where every morning I come to God and I say, Lord, here I am. What are you saying to me today? 
How may I worship and bless you today? And we all know that in the busyness of today, that's easier said than done, right? It's easier said than done. The fruit of these Jewish men's spiritual practices are the manifestations that we see. That is the fruit of devotion. Fruit is something that manifests itself to reveal the essence of that tree. Amen? An apple tree, because of the essence that is within it, because of that from which it is made, the DNA within that apple tree, it cannot produce oranges or nachis or pears or bananas or baby mongoose. It can only produce apples. And you even get different varieties of apples. Granny Smith, golden delicious. Red ones. <laughs> Pink ladies these days. But the fruit of our lives is the manifestation of the essence of that which is really and truly going on within, within us, within our hearts. If it's anxiety, it's going to manifest itself. If it's pride, it's going to manifest itself. If it's wholehearted trust and devotion to God, it is going to manifest itself. And Jesus has a lot to say about fruitfulness. I'm talking about spiritual disciplines. And the way that we think about discipline, especially concerning our spiritual lives, is really important because it has a tremendous impact on our motivation. Motivation has a big deal to a big role to play when we talk about discipline. Our usual perception or understanding of discipline has some bent towards punishment. Punishment that it is inflicted by way of correction or of training, right? When we talk about discipline, it's like it's, it's just a word we don't like to use. You don't, it's not the most widely preached motivational message. People don't really like to hear about discipline. Other interpretations include training to act in accordance with set rules or activity, exercise, or regime that improves a skill. So I discipline myself to go running because the more I run, the fitter I get, the stronger I get, although it takes a long time. Before you enter the Comrades Marathon, you have to have completed, I think it's how many, three, four marathons? Does anybody know? See, none of us discipline ourselves in that way. <laughs> but they will not let you partake in the, in the Comrades Ultra Marathon until you can prove and you have a set time that you can run a marathon within a certain time and finish it. Because you have to develop certain skills, certain stamina, certain muscles, certain breathing, all kinds of things need to be developed in your body before you can go and take on an ultramarathon. Folks, many of us want to do wonderful things for God. We want to do the ultramarathon for God. We want to be the next so-and-so for God. But we can't run around the block spiritually. Now, this is not an indictment per se, this is not a finger wagging to say, but it is a point where I can say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to start with running around the block. As they say, then I'll kick it under the bed when I'm finished. 
I'm going to start. <laughs> I'm going to start with what I can do. I remember when I started running years ago, man, it was rough. Rough. I couldn't do a kilometer without walking. Three kilometers was far for me. Right now, you can tell I'm not at my fittest. I'm getting back into the running thing. Five, six Ks, that's rough. I can still do them because of what I built in the years ago, but it's rough. I have to start again. But I know that in three, six months, I'll be able to run 10 Ks and be okay. I'll be able to run 12, maybe 15 on a good day and be okay. I'll be able to run 20 and not be okay. But, <laughs> but you grow. Folks, it's the same principle spiritually. We say we want more of God, and the truth is we do. But there's a price to pay. It requires discipline. We want to see the breakthrough in our lives. That breakthrough lies on the other side of a journey of discipline. And I want to say to you today that the most helpful way to think about discipline is this way. Discipline is not a bunch of chores or a bunch of tasks that you need to do or perform, even ritually or ritualistically or daily. It's not about the task. Any of us can do a task for a week or two weeks until the motivation runs dry. When it comes to spiritual discipline, what is required is for us to give ourselves over to something. That is what spiritual discipline is. I'm not just reading my Bible. How many of you know you can read your Bible and get nothing from it? We've all done that, right? Why? Because I haven't given myself to it. What do I mean? I've just done it. My heart, my heart hasn't been engaged in it. But yet sometimes I open my Bible and before I even start, God, I want you to speak to me. I'm just, and I, I take a moment and I worship. And I make sure that I am aware of His presence. And this isn't just some ritual of something that I'm doing. And it's amazing. When I set my heart right before I read the Word, Jesus speaks to me through the most obscure scriptures, through the most wonderful ways. And He encourages me, and He lifts me up, and He calls my faith, and He pulls it up. How do we give ourselves over to something? How do we give ourselves to the Word of God, to spiritual growth and discipline? Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2 tells us, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. What does it mean to seek? It means to look for. My wife and I at home in our kitchen, we have a corner cupboard. We call it the pantry, but in truth it is the black hole. NASA think they're really impressed about this picture they've got of the black hole. I look into it every day. Because no matter how neatly I put something into that pantry, you can never find it again. My wife has the map for the pantry. Helen, I can't find... Oh, she gets up off the couches, opens the door. There it is, and gives it... I can never find anything in that pantry. It's a good analogy, because why? If I were to just take a step back, give it more time, shift some things around, seek for it, would I find it? Yes, I would. But I'm lazy. So I call somebody with more, with more pantry experience to come and just give me instant results. 
And I want to tell you we do the same thing spiritually. We're too lazy to search the Word of God, so we run to the pastor. Please pray for me. What must I do in this situation? Why? Because we're programmed for a quick fix. And I want to tell you, God just doesn't work that way. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. The message translation says it this way. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, let's pause for a moment. Serious. If you're serious about this new resurrection life with Christ. Pastor Andreas once said to me, Michael, one of, one of the gifts that you have is that you don't take life too seriously. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I don't take much very seriously. I find humor in most things. But at the same time, there's some things that need to be taken seriously. We can't play around with God. We can't play around with spiritual things like they're toys or like they don't matter. They're important. This is eternal destiny stuff. If you're serious about this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Oh, Lord. Yes, sir. Pursue things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. No. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Folks, giving ourselves to one thing over or instead of another thing, that takes discipline. That takes prioritizing. And sometimes that means I've got to lay things down that are valuable or, or precious or important to me. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be disciplined in following another. It means to give myself every day to following Him. Not just that which gives me pleasure. Paul says, I discipline my body. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Don't you realize in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, Paul says. Run to win. I've done a few park runs. I've done a few half marathons. I just run to finish. Paul says, no, train. When it comes to these spiritual things, don't just train to get to heaven. Don't just train so that you can make it and know Jesus loves you. Train to win. Train to be fruitful. Train to get hold of everything for which Christ died for you. Put in the time. Put in the effort. Paul says it's worth it. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it for an eternal prize. What does he mean by I discipline my body? He says, I means, it means that I treat it as the slave of my will. I will not allow my body or my circumstances to rule over me. When I do, I become the victim of it. How can I be led by the Spirit and led by the flesh at the same time? It's impossible. Pastor Andreas has been talking about the difference between the spiritual realm and the natural realm. And many of us struggle to discern what's going on in the spiritual realm because we're so tuned into the natural realm. If I'm tuned into a radio station, 
I can't hear what's going on on another radio station because that's on another frequency. So if I take out another device and I now try to stream two radio stations, what do you think I'm going to get? Confusion is what I'm going to get. And many believers are confused. They don't know what the truth is. They don't know what the will of God is for their lives. They can hardly tell the difference between what is good and bad, right and wrong. They have no discernment in them. They are gullible. And you have false prophets that lead them astray with all kinds of foolish promises. In the church, folks, in order to truly tune into what the Spirit of God is saying, I have to tune out of. As wonderful as this device is, this cell phone, it's my worst enemy in a quiet time. It's got my Bible on it. It's got my... Um, concordances on it, and it's a lot of useful stuff, but there's a lot of really distracting stuff. Right now I'm preaching. I see I've got one SMS and two WhatsApps. I'm tempted, but I won't. <laughs> but we bring these things in with us to our quiet times, and sometimes God just wants us to be alone. Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul was a highly respected, highly qualified man of great rank. He was a Pharisee. He had carried great authority. He was the one who was on a mission to kill those of the way, to persecute them, to put them in prison. Until Jesus meets him on a road one day. And his life changes forever. All of that stuff. Now let's just think about it in our natural terms, if you wouldn't mind for a moment. He was the Bill Gates, the Elon Musk, if you like, of, of, of today. Highly successful, highly respected, highly influential man. And here's what he has to say about these earthly things. Philippians 3, 7 to 8. I'm reading from the message. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special. <laughs> I'm tearing them up and throwing them out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. Why? Because of Christ. Yes, the things I once thought so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. What is the secret to Paul's ministry and the miracles that, that happened in his hand, by his hand? Was it that Jesus just showed up and met him on the road? Well, that's the start of it. But then you see years and years and years of obscurity. Was it that just wherever he went, just the Holy Spirit decided to use this particular man? No, even at his calling, said to Ananias, I'm still going to show this man the things he must suffer for my sake. Jesus said to him. The fruit of Paul's life was the fruit of a life of devotion. This man understood discipline. What he had to do was reorientate his discipline. Paul gave himself over to something else, and it completely changed his pursuit. 
1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So he recognized in his life that although he was free now in Jesus Christ, not everything that he was able to do was worth doing. He said again, chapter 6, verse 12 of the same book, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I think there's a lot of things that we are involved in in our lives that are lawful. They're not a sin. God is not upset with us about them, but they really are not helpful to our spiritual journey. I've shared my testimony of how God used those exact scriptures to help me lay some idols down in my life. And I saw the fruit of that. I want to tell you, I didn't see the fruit of that in a day or in a month. But in the long run, man, what a blessing. And yet this call continues for every one of us. How do we spend? How are we investing our time? What is it that we are giving ourselves over to? Because every minute of every day, what is life? Life is a period of time. It's time and it's energy. That's what our lives are. We have a limited amount of time and we have a limited amount of energy. What are we going to do with them? Where are we going to invest them? has to do with the voices we are listening to and the influences that we are bringing ourselves under. We see the same truth worked out in the life of Jesus. His ministry, his wisdom, his power, they didn't just happen in a moment. We think, oh, but he was, he was God. He was the Son of God. Yes, he was born of incorruptible seed, as you and I now are. But he was also the son of man. He lived a very human life at the same time. And I want to tell you, as we read in the Bible, this was not always pleasing to his flesh. You read Philippians 2. It talks about how he humbled himself. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or hung on to. He gave it all up and he humbled himself to his creation and to the cross. He, sub, he, he stayed in subjection to his parents till the age of 30. Twelve, year old, twelve years old, they find him in the temple. He, th- he says, Mom, don't you know I must be about my father's business? I'm ready. She said, no, you're not. And he learned submission in the next 18 years of his life. Following that was 40 days of fasting. How many of you could manage that? Some do. <laughs> Some do. We also see this pattern of his life often drawing away from the crowds, the world, to pray and just have communion with the Father. And the results of this kind of life are clear to see. We see the miracles that Jesus did. We see the power and the authority that he worked in and he moved in and he flowed in. Why? Just because he was Jesus? Just because he was God? Look, no doubt he was the anointed one. I don't take that away from him. I don't say he was just a man. But he knew how to walk in that anointing by staying connected to the source. Jesus had a vibrant, intimate, dedicated, disciplined relationship with God. And here is his advice. Matthew 6, verse 6. You want to know what Jesus' advice is to you and me? This is what he's saying to you and me. But you, when you pray, Go into your room 
And when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What does that mean? That means as you habitually, regularly do that, put yourself away into that quiet secret place and spend time in the presence of God, praying to Him, sharing your heart with Him, being open and real and vulnerable with Him, reading His Word, feeding on His Word, worshiping Him, that what happens in that place so transforms and changes you that you will be rewarded openly. What, is, what does it mean that I will reward you openly? It means that when that opportunity comes, not only will you recognize it, you'll be able to take it. It means that when I need a man to stand up and say, I will go, your hand will be up and you'll be ready to meet the need. I like how the message says it. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you don't be tempted to role-play before God. <laughs> In other words, you don't just say the things that you think God will want to hear, or you, don't just, or you don't not say the things you don't want anybody else to hear. But you find a place where you can be real. The Bible says of Adam and Eve in the garden that they were naked and unashamed. When I come before God, naked is the only way that's acceptable to Him. What does that mean? Vulnerable. It's not like He doesn't know what you did. It's not like He didn't know what you said. And it's not like He doesn't know what you're thinking. He wants you to know it. What He's thinking. Lack of results that we see in our lives is the fruit, the evidence of something that is lacking. It's not more works that we need. It's not about chasing after the next miraculous moment or the next encounter. It's simply a disciplined change of focus. It's giving ourselves over to not something different, but someone different. Jesus. What do I mean someone different? But I'm a Christian. Many of us as Christians are living self-serving lives. What does that mean? We are so preoccupied with the natural, so preoccupied with the here and now, that we do not even know what's going on and what God is speaking over our lives. The fruit of devotion is a manifestation of who He is. And devotion means that I make room for God. I want you to hear this message today without a hint or a trace of condemnation. But I want you to hear this message today as a call from a loving Father to say, I have more for you, but to lay hold of it, I need more from you. There's a higher realm in the Spirit. There's a higher plane that God wants to bring us up to. We're not going to get there camping where we are. And this is not just a corporate word that I'm bringing. I want to talk to each one of you as a person, as the beloved of God, to hear His voice saying, Come. Come. I know you are busy. 
We heard that message about the tithe this morning, how miraculously when we give that 10%, the nine seems to stretch. How many of you have experienced that in your life? You have? I want to tell you the same principle is true with time. When you put God first, He will make sure that you have time for everything else. I don't understand when students come and they say, sorry, I can't come to church. I'm writing exams this week. That's the worst thing you could do. Give God the time that is His, and He will make sure the rest of the time you have is fruitful. I don't have time in the mornings. I'm so busy. I've got this going on. Do what you've got to do. Stay up late at night. Take a lot. Do what you have to do. What is the point of all of this? The point is we need to connect with God. If I am not... How, when last did you win a soul to Jesus? When last did you pray a prayer that wasn't just for yourself, for somebody else that you saw answered and God intervened in a wonderful, miraculous way? If we don't have answers to these questions, that don't go back three years, it tells me something about my heart when I'm saying, God, I'm not seeing these things. I'm not seeing the manifestation of your word. I'm not seeing the, the promises that you've come to give me. I'm not seeing you move. I don't have new, fresh revelations that are making me excited about my journey with you. I haven't led anybody to the Lord in ages. I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in ages. I haven't encouraged anybody or prayed for somebody who's sick. Why not? Because although Jesus lives inside of you, he's not alive inside of you. Does that make sense? I'm giving myself over to so many other things that I haven't tuned into his voice that empowers and authorizes me to go and do and be. I want us to close out our service this morning by listening to a song that I came across this week by a guy called Jonathan Reynolds. And the words hit me straight between the eyes. I want you to understand, folks, I preach this message to you from a place of great fear and humility because I'm in this battle with you. I don't preach it as my finger pointing at you. I'm saying God is saying this to all of us. Let's press in. These are the words to the song. He says, I find space for what I treasure. I make time for what I want. I choose my priorities. Jesus, you're my number one. So I will make room for you. I will prepare for two so you don't feel that you can't live here. Be welcome. Come live in me. And then he talks about moving things over. And today I want to say to you, this message brings us to a moment of choice where we can make a decision now, a decision of our will, a quality decision to say, Jesus, I want to shift other things aside. I want to move other things over. I want to make room for you. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.